welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning and a warm welcome to Awaken. It feels a little different today with many of our youth on retreat with Trevor and some of our staff and volunteers. Blessings on them as they wrap up their weekend away. My name is Art Morrow. I'm the interim executive director here. I'm serving right now with Pastor Jenna out on parental leave. For our call of worship today, I'm inviting us to clear our thoughts and center our thoughts around the topic of love, which is our theme in today's service. Feel free to close your eyes if you like, but I'm going to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak eloquently in all the tongues of humans and angels but have not love, my speech is only an attention-getting gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic vision and claim to understand all the mysteries and knowledge of life and even faith to move mountains but have not love, then I'm nothing special. If I take drastic measures, giving away everything and living in extreme hardship, but have not love, I gain nothing. So what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It keeps, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs done to us. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the good and true. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, my name is Micah, if we have not met, one of the pastors here at Awaken. Uh, right out of the gate, um, if you volunteer at Awaken in any capacity, there is a good chance that there is a card in the back from us as a staff thanking you for your, your, your service, for your, uh, your gift of your time and energy, along with a Wildflower gift card. So that is not insignificant. I'm sort of, a, I have a theory about cards, you know, like, you know, cards are nice, but like I inevitably they all end up where? In the garbage. Except for like a couple of really special ones that you might get over the course of your life. Can we all just agree on that without like making judgments about how insensitive I am? But that one's got a gift card. That one's got a gift card, so you're going to want to pick that up, okay? And then we won't have to mail it either, so thank you for that. A um, couple of things. Uh, if you're new, welcome to you. We're super glad you're with us. We'd love to know that you're here today. So in the seat pockets there in front of you or online, awakenwest7th.com, you can fill that out. Uh, there's a card there. That'll come to us. We'll invite you to a beverage of your choice. You can get to know us. We can get to know you a little. And um, it's, just, it's just a drink. Um, in terms of announcements, there are a few things happening coming up. Uh, February the 1st, there is an artist mingle happening. So if you're creative in any way, even if that's like making order from spreadsheets, if you like to do that, you're welcome to join the creative folks at the artist mingle, uh, February 1st, one, uh, 7 o'clock. There is an introduction to the Enneagram workshop happening on February 3rd, so that's next Saturday, 10 to noon. Uh, you can register by the 1st. 
for that. So if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, if you, like, if you know the Myers-Briggs or DISC or any of those kind of self-inventories, this is a way to know oneself as well as how others might show up in the world. Very helpful tool. Uh, there is a very important event coming March the 1st. It's called Awaken Prom. Yeah, yeah. Very excited about that. There's a prohibition theme for that one, so been working up the uh, cocktail list for that. There will be leaded and unleaded options at the, at the prom. There is dancing available. You don't have to dance. You can just watch people dance, which is also really fun. Um, but really, really want to encourage you to go. This is a 21-plus event, so to the youngsters among us, sorry, this is not for you. But to those of you who are later in life, this is definitely for you. Okay, we had, a, we had a, a pretty healthy crowd last year of second halfers, and they tore it up, so setting a good precedence. Um, and then last but not least, an update for you. During the month of November and December, we did a drive for uh, an organization called Walking with a Purpose, which is one of our uh, official missional partners, and they walk uh, the neighborhoods of St. Paul and find folks who are experiencing homelessness and just offer them whatever they might need. And so you all helped supply the bus that goes around and does that. So just want to like report back to you on behalf of Walking With a Purpose. Thank you for the things that you gave. They are already out there doing good things in the world. So thank you for that. Um, tithes and offerings, if you have them this morning, and those cards can go in the black boxes. Uh, each of the exits, grateful for those as they come. Uh, if you have your Bibles, flip to 1 John. We're in week four of a series. This is the season of Epiphany. Epiphany comes after Advent. Um, hey, David, can you close that door for me? Or somebody over there, could you close that door for me? I mean, I love kids and all, but not that much. <laughs> There's a whaler in there, and it's not Bob Marley. Oh, wow. Thank you, I'll be here all week. First John, this is Epiphany, comes after Advent, um, celebrates the light of God coming into the world. And so uh, we have explored First John the last couple weeks just to get you up to speed if you're new with us. In week one, um, prologue, the first four verses of John, basically kind of tells the whole story, right? That which was from the beginning, uh, which we have seen and, and touched and experienced, the word of life, that which was from the beginning, the word of life, that God, like God exists, and that God we've seen, we've known, we've experienced, that God has come here, appeared in Jesus, and we now proclaim it to you so that you might also find life in it as we have, right? That's kind of it. There's a God, that God's made themselves known in Jesus, we've seen it, we've tasted it, we've touched it, it's good, and we proclaim it to you so that you might too have fellowship with it. That's it. You could stop there, but John doesn't. He keeps going. Uh, week two, we kind of took a little break and hovered above 1 John, looking more at like the Bible in and of itself. Like, explored this idea of revelation. And if God wants to reveal God's self, then what does that look like? Uh, for many of us, we grew up in, a, in a, a system where the Bible was the primary mode or like the end of the discussion, right? It, it's the last word. And so the Bible becomes this thing that we have to submit to and apply even when we have struggles with it or we think it's barbaric or patriarchal or ancient because it is, if we're honest, right? But the only option there is submit. And I want to argue that like, there's another way to think about God's revelation, that the Bible is part of revelation. It is not the end of, that it is ongoing. It's continued by the Spirit, right? We know God through Jesus who's been the, 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 the icon, the manifestation, the, 
the, the direct copy of God, the writer of Hebrews says, and then Jesus leaves us the spirit. And so that spirit, as we submit to it and as we follow it and we, we say yes to it, it leads us to that which is good and true and life-giving and revealing about God, right? So that was a couple weeks ago. And then last week, we looked at, uh, there's really two main sections in 1 John. There's the introduction and conclusion. And then in the middle, there's a section about light and a section about love. Last week, we looked at light, that God is light. There's no shadow in God. There's no, uh, that, 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 that God is trustworthy and true because of that. And that there, there's hope for us in this world because the light has come and the darkness did not overcome it. Can I get an amen? A little Easter pre, little teaser for Easter, just in case you didn't know what's coming. So then today we turn our attention to this small and insignificant word of love. Uh, let's start with an all play. How about that? Uh, let's say your child comes up to you and says, What is love? Or you're at the coffee machine at work and one of your coworkers says, like, if you had to explain it, what is love? What would you say to that person? If you're not familiar with all plays, you can actually play along here. So what is love? How would you describe it? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Thank you. Unconditional. Unconditional. Compassion. Compassionate. Acceptance. Acceptance. Warm. Warm. Somebody else said that first hour. Putting others before yourself. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Choice. Choice. Seeing and being seen. Yes. Say it again. Connection. Connection. Yeah. Gentle. Love is all you need. <laughs> Love is all you need. <laughs> there you go. Anybody else want to preach this sermon for me today? Love. Uh, holy buckets. It is at once gigantic. It's, it's everything. It's huge. It's massive. It's like so big you couldn't even begin to talk about it. And it's also really, really simple, right? We know it when it's not present. You, we know it when it is. We might not be able to describe it. It's ineffable, right? It, words don't even begin to capture the, the depth of it. That's what we want to talk about today. Um, if you are uh, a podcaster at all, I would encourage, there's one by um, Rob Bell, he interviews Peter Rollins, who's a philosopher, it's called An Introduction to Love, he wanted to call it An Introduction to Making Love, but he thought the algorithms might <laughs> be a little weird on that one, so it's very, very good. Um, but uh, I, I've actually picked a, a select few passages from chapters three and four, because John, if you remember in week one, um, somebody from the transept said John needs an editor, Right? He just like circles and hovers and like it's kind of hard to find where you are, like where are the handholds here. So I did some of that work for you. Um, maybe you didn't want me to do that, but I did. Uh, and I've selected a few passages that I want to read, and then I want to try to um, make sense of what John has said. All right, so Nathan is going to read our passage. There we are. So if you uh, have your Bibles, we're going to start in 1 John chapter 3. I would invite you to, to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of the word. And then we'll jump in, see where this train's going. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, 
how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Pray with me if you would. God, as we gather this morning, we pause for just a moment and recognize that uh, the preacher doesn't always know and the pastor isn't the smartest person in the room. You are the one that we are after. Spirit, we desperately need you to guide and lead and infuse these words, these meditations with your resurrection power that they might have the capacity, the potential to transform. And so I pray that the meditations in my heart and the words of my mouth would be honoring to you and to your church. In Christ's name and by the power of your spirit, the church said together, amen. You may be seated. Uh, Grover, you guys remember Grover? Near, far, near, far. Uh, We're going to start far. We're going to start zoomed way out. Then we're going to zoom way in. We're going to get real close. Then we're going to come back out. That's kind of the roadmap for today. I want to begin with an invitation to you. And that invitation is to, uh, to experience God as not as object, but as subject or mystery. Uh, Peter Rollins, in this, in this interview he does, he talks a little bit about love and God, and he posits the possibility that when the poets of literature speak of love, is it, is it that they also are speaking of God? And when the theologians of history are speaking of God, is it possible that they're not also speaking of love? That these two things, God and love, are inextricably connected to one another, that you can't separate one from the other, uh, Marguerite Perrette was a 13th century mystic. We don't have many mystics around anymore. That should say something. Either way, she was burned at the stake for her writings and her beliefs and her unwillingness to recant when the establishment told her that you can't say that about God and love. And she's like, I did and I, w- and I will. And they killed her. Uh, in a book called The Mirror of Simple Souls, She has, uh, like, the soul, reason, and love as characters. And they're in dialogue with one another in this book. And she argues in the book that uh, the soul must give up reason in order to experience and comprehend love. That logic and reason alone cannot access divine love. Only the soul in a, in a conversation between um, reason and love, reason is saying to love, who are you? Who are you? And love responds, I am God. So these two ideas throughout history, the greatest of literature and the greatest of theology, the, the poets and the philosophers and the theologians, is it possible that we're, we're really circling the same idea, trying to give words to, to the ineffable? is what he's saying. And I want to I 
sort of begin there with this invitation of moving from God as object to God as mystery. Um, people have asked me before, like, Michael, what happened to you? To which that's a very complicated question, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I've been a, a believer. I remember asking Jesus into my heart at Five Day Club when I was five at Pam Gall's house in the basement next to the, the, the wash basin after singing, I will not fly over the enemy, shoot the artillery. You remember that song? <laughs> so I've been a Christian like my whole life. Um, and people ask, like, it, it, it looks like from the outside looking in that you've, you've moved, you've kept going from where you grew up, right? Uh, which was, you know, for better all intents and purposes, like Protestant, um, evangelical, borderline fundamentalism at times. Like you've, you seem to have moved and kept going. What happened to you? And I actually think that this idea of relating to God as object or relating to God as mystery is part of that transformation in me as I kind of self-reflect. What do I mean by that? The world that we inherit, um, it has a story, right? And as historians talk about the world, they would often sort of break it up into large periods of time or, or, or periods of history. The one from which we are coming out of is called modernism maybe the last five to 700 years. And modernism has some interesting character qualities to it. It, it, it is the, the, the birthplace of the Enlightenment of the 17th and 18th centuries. It is like uh, described by reason and rationale and science, you know, the scientific method. You all remember that in science class? That's modernism, right? That's the Enlightenment. Uh, Rene Descartes, if you remember that famous philosopher, he has this, this line where he says, I think... Therefore, I am. Remember that one from Psych 101 or Philosophy 101? I think, therefore, I am. What's he saying? That like the basis of human existence is reason, my capacity to think. So this is the world that we've inherited, and that world has given us great things, right? We went to the moon, for crying out loud. We've explored space, and we've mechanized and industrialized the world, and it's done good things and some not-so-good things. But it makes sense that all of the... Uh, all of the studies, all of the departments would be influenced by that world that we've lived in. And I would argue that theology is no different than that. So when you think about God, how do you think about it? Not informed by modernism. Well, I would argue that we have been informed, and it is informed by it. So theologians of the 17, 18, 19, 20th century, um, informed by this world that we're living in, then turn to God and say, how do we understand God? And I remember literally the visual in seminary where there was a pyramid and it was, it was a, a description of systematic theology. Do you remember this? And in systematic theology, we break God down into categories that we can study and understand. So there's theology, talk about God the Father. There is Christology, talk about God the Son. There is pneumatology, not arthritis, but the spirit of God, right? Uh, there's homardiology, which is all about sin. And there is soteriology, how to be saved. There is angelology, that's actually a word. There's all these studies, these departments, and we build this structure that we call theologies, like knowledge of God. And I have a sneaky suspicion that there might be some in the room who had experiences like me who sort of got to the end of that project where there was this sense deep in your bones that you knew that you knew that you knew that God cannot be an object. That's not, that cannot be God, philosophically, logically. And so there is this move from 
and you know, to the degree that I can uh, um, like stand outside of something, measure it, quantify it, like observe it, is the degree to which I can say something is true, something is real, something has veracity. And I want to invite us to move beyond that way of understanding and relating to God because I think that has limits. Um, there's a, there's a, a philosopher, theologian called Paul Tillich, and he says that atheism is closer to God than theism. Because he would argue theism accepts God as object, and atheism rejects that God. He says that God exists before subject and object. Right? This is, by, uh, pause, I forgot to give you this warning. This is a very philosophical and very like dense sermon this morning. So I hope you brought your thinking caps. If you haven't, or if you don't have them on, get them and put them on, because we're going to need them, all right? Play. So Tillich, right? God exists beyond object, or before object and subject. God cannot be an object that we observe, that we like write treatises about. That can't be God. So as we begin this morning, we want to talk about love, and I would submit to you that in similar ways, love is not an object. Love is beyond object. Love is something that we're invited into. And I think it, it parallels God and love, these two things that can't be extracted from one another. God as mystery, God as, as, as related to as um, like relationship experience is a knowing beyond knowing. I want to invite you to that space. This is why the mystics were so important of, of the ages old. Because they, they, they got that. They were exploring knowledge beyond knowing, right? Or knowing beyond knowledge. You can have knowledge of love and not experience love. You can have knowledge of God and not experience the divine. This is what we're after. Because one can know something and not be changed by it, not be transformed by it. You can know about God and not be transformed by God because you're not in God. You're not relating to God. That's the invitation. So I want to start there as an invitation to move beyond God as object into God as mystery, God as substance, God as like relationality. That can, you can experience that. That can transform and change you. And that's what we're after. So, that's out there, 30,000 feet. Now, what is John saying? Let's go to the text. 1 John 1, 4 through 16. Or 1 John 4, 16. He says, God is love. If you ever went to Awana, you probably, that was the easiest patch you ever got, you know? God is love. 1 John 4, 16. That one in Jesus wept, John eleven thirty-five. You get your patch. Thank you. Timothy Award, I'm coming for you, baby. God is love. John, so like if you're going to try to make sense of what John is saying in this text, you have to start there because that's the foundation. That's the basis, right? God is love. It's the starting blocks. Maybe Marguerite Perrette was right. I am God. God is love. God is, or, or love can say, I am God. Last week, we looked at God as light, right? That God is, there's no shadow in God. God is trustworthy and true. We can hope in that. God is that which illuminates, that which brings into being, into focus, into vision. That's the nature of God. Similarly, God is love. 
John's trying to like get to the bottom, you know, which of course is a fool's errand to try to get to the bottom of an infinite subject or an infinite endeavor. But it's all we've got, isn't it? These words. And he would say, God is love. He goes on to say in verse 19 of chapter 4, you are in love. We love because he first loved us. I don't know who you brought here today. Maybe you are in love. I don't know. I hope you are. It sure is fun. It's death, too, also. (laughs) But it sure is fun. I don't know if you're in love with someone or not. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying... (laughs) My wife is here today, present in the room. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Tell me I'm wrong, though, right? It's life and death, isn't it? It's it's electricity and, man. (laughs) You are in love. I don't mean that, like, you have affection for another person. What is John saying? Your very being is inside of love. Um, John says that, We have the capacity to love as humans because as a effect of someone else loving us first. We can love because God has loved us first. When when I do weddings, which is one of my favorite parts of my job as a pastor, um, I always pause and I I say, like, we, we pause on weddings, at weddings, and we revel in this wonderful mystery and gift that we have the capacity to give and receive love. Not everybody gets that. There are all kinds of things that are alive on planet Earth that cannot love. There are all sorts of complex organisms, animals, that do not experience this thing we call love. We have the capacity to give and receive love precisely because we have been loved first, said differently, we are inside of love. Which means there is nothing you can do to change that. It has already been done. It means that you can accept that, experience that, relate to that, be changed and transformed by that or not. Because love is always choice. It cannot be demanded. It cannot be dictated. So that's true and real. This is what the the, the Christ incarnate says to the world you are inside of love it's already settled so you can accept that you can live in that you can receive that say yes to it have the potential to be changed and transformed by it or not you can spend your whole life attempting to stay outside of that and some people do i would highly recommend you don't this is usually when the pastor says because the stakes are high because if you don't you'll go to hell Which seems to contradict what John says about perfect love casting out fear, does it not? So I'm just going to say to you, you are inside of love already. It's already been done. Say yes to that. Live in that. Receive that. Be transformed and changed by it. Because you can have knowledge of love and not experience love. John goes on and he says, we then... We're in God is love, you are inside of love, and we as humans, we are invited to love one another. 1 John 3.11, he says, 
This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And he goes all the way back to the beginning of the story. Did you notice that? Like his, uh, the proof for his case, it's Cain and Abel. The two brothers, right, where, where death enters, uh, like physical death enters our reality. He says, we should love one another. Effectively saying, to be human is to experience, give, and receive love. We should love because it's human. And it makes us, or we, we, we step into our humanity insofar as we love one another. Remember, 1 John, he at least has John's gospel, and it might be the same writer. But remember what Jesus says in John's gospel. Chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, not your doctrine, not your signs, not what you are against, by this the world will know you're with me. He says it again in chapter 15. This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. John seems to think to be human is to experience, give, and receive love. And we ought to do that. And I don't say ought or should very often, but I'm going to today. This is what it means to be human. If Jesus is the model, if Jesus mastered the art of living and he was the model human, he says, follow me as I do this. Love one another as I have loved you. So God is love. We're inside of love. We're invited to love one another. The million-dollar question then is, what does love look like? What's love got to do with it anyways? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken, Jake? I don't even know. Who gets to decide what love looks like? Because I've sat in front of people who have told me their stories about parents who have said, I can no longer, I love you, and therefore I can no longer be in relationship with you. To which I've thought to myself, that just does not look much like love to me. And then I've sat with another father whose, son, whose, whose child was an addict in the throes of addiction who said, I love you and I have to create boundaries in our life because love demands it. And I thought to myself, God, I can't imagine what that would be like, but that actually, that checks out a little bit. I'm not here to tell you that I know the answer to this question. Who gets to define love? What does love mean? It's a very complicated, nuanced, and difficult, relational, situational conversation. Is it not? And so when the pastor gets up here and says, it looks like this and you have to do it this way, you should always be a little skeptical. I'm telling you, it's complicated at times. What I do think we can say is what John says in chapter 4, where he says... It's the key. It unlocks like the mysteries of the universe, love. And here's what it looks like. This is, what, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. If we can say anything, and I think we can say this, love will always look like Jesus. I'll play. What do we know about love because Jesus laid down his life for us? What can you say is true about love because Jesus laid down his life for you? Say it again. It's active. I love that. Sacrifice, unconditional. It's not transactional. It's for everybody. Say it again. 
not earned. We matter. It could be painful, absolutely. Friends, this is a mystery. One of the greatest mysteries of human experience, love. And I'm not here to tell you today I know all the answers. But I think there is some wisdom around what John has said. This is how you know what love is. Christ laying down his life. And so we can deduce some things about that. That if it's love, it, 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 it should be sacrificial. It, it, it will be compassionate. It, it, it's not earned. It's not transactional, right? We can say some of those things, and we could do the opposite. We could do an all-plan, what does love not look like based on the fact that Jesus has laid down his life? And we could have that same conversation. I think there's some wisdom there that we can hold on to, even in the midst of our, gosh, this is really tricky, because we're talking about humans here. The last thing John says in his meandering comments about love is like the, the sort of putting, you know, um, putting your feet on the ground when he says that love is embodied action. 1 John 3.18 Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Making our way back to where we started, zooming out a little bit, love is not an object. Love is an experience that you are invited into. You could even say that love does not exist, love calls into existence. Love is not a thing you can put in a laboratory, right? Like if I were to tell you, find love and bring it back to me and show it. There isn't some thing, some object you could bring. You might bring a person because love is embodied in that person. You might bring creation because love is embodied in creation. You might bring, right? But it's not an object. It's a, it's a, it's a relationship. It's a mystery that you were invited into in experience, God is not an object. God is love. If love is not an object, and it's it, like you're tracking here, God is not something, it is this experience that we are invited into, and we know what it looks like because it's been embodied and incarnated in Jesus. I'll close with this. Peter Rollins in this podcast tells a story about a woman who's on a train on her way from like new, north of New York down to the city. And thousands of people do this every day, if you've ever been out there, right? They make their way into the city by train. And she gets on the train, hurried, leaves home, hurried, gets on the train and realizes, like, oh my gosh, I don't have any money. The door closes and the train starts. Doesn't have a ticket. Guy's coming down the way, ticket collector, tickets please, tickets please. She's freaking out. Ticket collector gets to her and says, tickets please. And she says, I'm so sorry. I, I left my house in a hurry, and I don't have any money, and I got on the train and realized I didn't have a ticket, and the door's closed, and now I'm here. And he looks at her, and he says, you know, don't worry about it. And in this moment, something happens. And they begin to, to, to talk. Uh, he sits down next to her, and they begin to even, like, share about their families and show pictures and there's laughter that's shared and eventually he gets up and continues on and collects tickets from the other passengers and at the end of the train when she goes to get off she stops and she says to this guy thank you, thank you so much and his response was you know sometimes it's just nice to be seen how is that possible? this guy is seen by thousands of people every single day on a train but not as subject, 
not as mystery, not as the spark of the divine clamoring around in, these, in this frame, not, no, as object, as a, a, a cog in a wheel, a, 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 a means to an end. What does that? What, what gives us the capacity to see another human? That's love. Love doesn't exist. It calls into existence. Love calls from the background into the foreground. Love calls from anonymity, infinitude, into subjectivity, relationality, infinity, the absolute. This is what love does. And it makes total sense why John says God is love. Because if you go all the way back to the beginning of the story, what do we find God doing in Genesis 1? But hovering above the water, over the surface of the deep, and calling out from darkness light, calling out of the background into the foreground, calling out of unformedness to something. This is what love does. This is the, the power of that is in the being, the very essence of God. And you, my friends, are invited into that mystery, into that paradox, into that wonder. How do you know what it looks like? It's been incarnated and embodied in the person of Jesus. And you're invited by the Spirit to step into that reality, to experience that reality, to be transformed and changed by that reality. You can have knowledge of love and not experience love, and that would be tragic. You can have knowledge of God and never experience the divine, and that would be terrible. I do, not, I do not recommend it to anyone. So these are a few of my musings on love this morning. It's less of a three-point sermon and more of a wandering walk through the park called love. And I hope that there was something here that you saw, heard, that maybe you found sparkled or was beautiful and you can hold and sit with for a bit. Because that's about all I could have hoped for on a sermon on love. So let me offer a word of prayer and then we'll make our way to this table, which is perfect for this day. God, we take a moment to pause, um, to be still, and to hear our beating hearts. To trust that we are in fact inside of love right now in this very moment. No matter what we've done. No matter what we're doing. No matter what we will do. Spirit, help us accept that we're accepted. Which brings freedom. Freedom to love. Without strings attached and conditions freedom to live truly as we were meant to live. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Bring that to us now, I pray. You sound lovely. God is love. You are inside of that. So say yes to it. Give and receive it. Be human. And insofar as we do, we change. We're, we're transformed by the power and the nature of this thing. We call love. We call God. That's good news for the world. That's good news for me. It's good news for you.
So leave with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.